0: length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest hosts. That We're bringing on to the team. His name is Slocum Reed along with myself and Osh. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does. I've known Slocum for years and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow. He currently owns and operates 65 units including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever for you. So, welcome, Slocum Reed.
1: Best ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I'm here with Paul Moore. Paul is joining us from Lynchburg, Virginia. He is the founder and managing director at Wellings Capital. His firm has invested $71.3 with 11 operators and has a total of 229 assets across all combined funds. He's actually a third-time guest. He's already shared with us in other episodes about creating a fund, building a hotel, and adapting your business model when deal flow slows down. Paul, can you start us off with a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on?
2: Absolutely. I sold my company to a public firm at 33 years old and I thought I'm a semi-retired investor now. And I was really an idiotic speculator is what I was because (laughs) I didn't know the difference. Investing is when your principal, I now know, is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. So I was a speculator. I lost a lot of money. I made some money along the way. I started investing in flip homes and then I started flipping waterfront lots at Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia. I started a couple of websites and I always wondered how to get involved in commercial real estate. Finally jumped into multifamily in North Dakota during the oil boom there in 2011 and later wrote a book on multifamily investing. And since then, we have added self-storage and mobile home parks, as well as RV parks, light industrial, and similar assets to our funds. We manage five funds that allow investors to get a portfolio of recession-resistant assets with one investment.
1: I understand, Paul, you're more focused on self-storage now? Yeah. I did not have the
2: success that Joe had in acquiring multifamily. And we just got really frustrated beating our head up against the wall, trying to find off-market deals and deals that made sense and penciled out. And when we finally looked at self-storage after a couple of years of beating our head up against the wall, we realized that my multifamily book's called The Perfect Investment. Humble title, wouldn't you agree? I realized it's not perfect if I have to overpay to get these deals. So in self-storage, I found 50% of the owners were mom and pop, single facility owners. And a lot of them didn't have the knowledge or the desire or the resources to make upgrades, increase income. When was this that you were getting
1: into self-storage?
2: Yeah, this was 2018. So I immediately started looking for every book I could get on self-storage. I didn't find it. Very many great ones out there, some self-published ones. So I decided to write one myself. I waited a couple of years till I knew more about it, but that's when we jumped
1: into self-storage. And that book is Storing Up Profits, Capitalize on America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Self-Storage. Yes, that's right. It was published by Bigger Pockets in late 2021. Nice. The reason I asked, Paul, about when you got into self-storage is that it's a much trendier topic now in 2022 than it was four years ago. Yeah, Are you feeling that in the deals that you get to underwrite? Are you feeling like there's a lot more competition now and that competition is driving up prices and compressing cap rates?
2: Great question. Cap rates are terribly compressed. They're just about the same as multifamily. The difference is, I recently wrote an article call me a heretic, but maybe cap rates don't really matter as much as we thought on bigger pockets. And the point of it was, well, if the asset is completely mismanaged, like the deal we bought in Grand Junction, Colorado, that had 80% delinquency, uh, or the deals that don't even have websites or even signage hardly, and just basically just completely under mismanaged then the cap rate doesn't matter as much. If you tear down the cap rate and realize that's the net income divided by the value, well, if the cap rate's 2%, but the income's only half of what it could be, well, then the cap rate doesn't matter as much. And that's why we really like these mom and pop self-storage and other assets in in any asset class. They're just easier to find
1: in self-storage than some others. It sounds like you're talking specifically about the cap rate based on the current performance of the asset when you purchase it, correct? Right. I predominantly concern myself with cap rate for two reasons. If I'm going to sell this, what can I sell it for? And what is my debt going to look like when I go for a refinance? So I primarily personally focus on cap rate at the end. I totally get what you're saying though about not focusing in on it. On the front end, I will say though, When you find a self storage facility that has 80% delinquent rents and you find those kinds of opportunities, have you found that it is more difficult to secure bank debt for those based on their current operation? When we dove into this, we realized we didn't have the
2: track record, the team, the technology we needed to do this right. So we decided to partner, as you mentioned earlier, with 11 operators over the last several years. And they have such a phenomenal relationship with their banks and their track record is so solid that they have a leg up in that area. But we also give them enough cash so they can go buy these for cash, turn them around, and then refinance them. An example is they acquired one in Beeville, Texas, 607 units. From five feuding siblings, after the parents passed away, they wanted five and a half million for it, but it was acquired for cash for two point four million. Wow. After three months, three months got an appraisal of four point six million. So put two million in debt on that. That was a forty three percent LTV rather than eighty three, which it would have been at again at the original price of two point four, and that asset was later sold for four point six million. It was like a 300% return on the investor's equity. It's hard to find deals like that. But again, the cap rate's not that important when you've got to deal with that much upside. So investing with cash is definitely an option in those cases. And that was a very good question.
1: Paul, you may have already answered this question, at least partially, but why are you paying cash when you purchase?
2: Well, the answer would be, we wouldn't want to pay cash. But in that case, there was these five feuding siblings. They wanted five and a half million. They wanted a quick out. They wanted to end their misery. And so it was just easiest with that one to pay cash and turn around and finance it in three months. We started the financing process, I should say, in three months. So again, it wouldn't be our normal
1: practice. Gotcha. Were you direct to seller on this or was this deal broker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 93% direct-to-seller through this particular operator. Gotcha. Okay, and so you went cash. Going direct-to-seller, of course, means there's less competition. Is self-storage a space where you have seen that being a cash buyer makes you more compelling in competitive offer situations? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Actually, you didn't ask this exact question, but it is interesting. In the mobile home park realm, a whole lot of the owners who are selling have been around for, let's say, 40 years. They assume they're gonna have to owner finance it to sell it because until Sam Zell, America's most successful real estate investor, led the charge into getting financing for mobile home parks, they were very hard to finance in years past. So that's kind of a fun little fact. If you can go into one of these guys with cash or with your own financing, bank or agency financing lined up,
1: it can really help a lot. You've started five funds, you've said. You're in a breadth of asset classes. You've invested over $70 million. And yeah, now you're diversifying the asset classes that you're investing in because it feels crowded. Cap rates have compressed. Let me ask, when did you start raising capital to invest in commercial real estate?
2: Well, I did my first one in 1999, but as far as raising capital for commercial real estate, I think 2011 or 12, when we were doing the multifamily quasi hotel in
1: North Dakota. So investing for over 20 years, raising capital for over 10 years. With your breadth of knowledge and experience, Paul, what's the most crucial skill that you've developed over the years that informs and empowers your investing today?
2: I'll tell you, it's more of a mindset than a skill. I was listening to my first podcast ever when I discovered, I had heard podcasts before, but I discovered that little purple icon on my iPhone and listened to Richard C. Wilson tell the story about how you want to survive if you live way up north. And this may sound silly, but it changed my life. If you live way up north in the wilderness and you want to survive, you want to live on salmon. You can either be a spear fisherman, which would mean you have to learn to shape the spear. You have to learn to throw it straight. You have to learn to retrieve the salmon, and you have to hope that a salmon swims by in that dark water. Hope's not a good business strategy. The other strategy, this is kind of silly, be a grizzly bear and the waterfall, standing there with your mouth unhinged and waiting for salmon to jump into your mouth, and that mindset means I'm creating educational materials. I'm becoming the go to expert by writing books, doing podcasts, doing webinars, doing videos, doing videos on bigger pockets, by speaking at live events, all those types of things create a situation where people are coming to me to ask if they can invest. And I think that mindset more than a skill has changed everything for us we went from literally a handful of investors and i mean literally five to over 500 now since i flipped that
0: mindset switch we'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors i'm confident you'll find value in learning more about what's holding you back from getting into apartment building deals is it knowledge fear inability to take action lack of support if it's any of these things, then I suggest you consider Deal Maker Mentoring with Michael Blanc. Michael's program is the most effective program to help you syndicate your first apartment building deal. During Deal Maker Mentoring, you'll work directly with one of Michael's experienced mentors who have successfully replaced their income with apartment buildings. They've already done what you want to do, which is become financially free. So, in addition to providing their own syndication experience, They've been trained in Michael's unique deal maker blueprint design to help you do your first deal and become financially free just like them in the next one to three years. To find out more, text the word Joe to 66866. I know Michael's going to get you to where you'd like to be again. Text the word Joe to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind and let's get you started with your own syndication business. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. Investor Guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive, apartment, and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags.
1: The mindset being that you've made yourself the grizzly bear standing at the bottom of the waterfall with the, the salmon investors coming to you because you begin by adding value, being the thought leader, educating, and you attract people to you with that. Right. That's the goal. In all of your investing right now, are there any asset classes you're avoiding? Oh, yeah. I'm writing a book called Warren Buffett's Rules for Real
2: Estate Investors, taking his principles and applying them to real estate. And one of the things he said is successful people say no a lot. The very most successful say no almost all the time. So we have a whole lot more that we would say no to than yes for a variety of different reasons. One that we like, we just haven't found the right operator, would be senior living. Really like that space. There's five aspects to that. Actually, six different strategies within that. And that's something we'll be looking at someday. Another one that we're not doing yet because we haven't found the right operator. If you're listening, call me. We're looking for great operators in the RV park space. People that have had years of experience, the track record, the team, and the opportunity to buy mom and pops and upgrade them for large profits. Hotels, retail in general, though there is hotels one Hotels and retail
1: strategy. are things that you're avoiding right now?
2: Yeah, we're avoiding hotels and retail right now. we got a lot of questions about those. And I think with the online economy we've seen, and then of course the damage from COVID, even if it was only for a year to hotels, just sort of kept us away from those. We certainly wouldn't invest in restaurants. And there's probably lots of other asset types I'm not even thinking of. Office scares me right now. I do know a company that's doing a great job in office. But again, with a, a shift in American thinking with office, I think I'm gonna hold tight on that.
1: So hospitality, retail, office. You're naming all of the stuff that was most impacted by COVID. Is COVID the origin of the reasons why you're shying away from those spaces, or were you opposed to them prior to COVID? You know, I don't want to sound like we're some kind of gurus
2: who sure. knew the future, Sure. but honestly, we were squarely, and you can go back and look at everything we've said since 2017, we were squarely in the multifamily, then self-storage, then mobile home park, <sighs> Arenas for all these years. And we weren't really drawn to those other asset types. And COVID just kind of sealed the deal. So you were avoiding them
1: back before
2: 2020, then? We've never invested in them. So, absolutely, yes. There is a retail strategy I really like. And here's the summary of it buying a strip center and then selling off the out parcels to pay back the equity quickly. And that's a strategy I really like. If there's 30% equity, and you can sell off the restaurant and the bank out parcels, let's say, for 30% of what you paid for the whole strip center, that's a pretty compelling strategy. And I know people doing that that we would look
1: at. Gotcha. So for those of our best ever listeners, Paul, who are not newbies, they wouldn't consider themselves amateur investors, they have some experience, have not yet succeeded at the level that you have. And they want to get under the waterfall and open their mouths themselves. What is your top tip for getting into thought leadership for someone who thinks it's time for them to start raising capital or it's time for them to start attracting partners to themselves? Joe Fairless wrote a little
2: blurb for my new book, and I so appreciate it. So I'm going to throw it back at him right now. Joe Fairless gave, I think, us all the best tip on this, and I'm just going to do my best to quote him. I don't know if this is exactly what he would say if you asked him, but I know what he told Whitney Sewell. He told Whitney, go out and start a daily podcast. And then while you're at it, start doing other things like social media postings and eBooks and books and all that, but start a daily podcast first. And that's exactly what Joe told Whitney and everybody knows that Whitney One of Joe's star students went from zero to hero in about three and a half years doing that. So I guess that's what I would tell people.
1: Start a daily podcast.
2: Yeah, I think that's what I would do.
1: Awesome. Well, Paul, being that you are a repeat guest and you've been through the lightning round before, I just want to ask now, what is your best ever advice?
2: My best ever advice is going back to the beginning of this show, and that would be to say, please, Think hard about the difference between investing and speculating. And by the way, it's fine to speculate. It's fine to invest in Bitcoin. I believe true wealth is having assets that produce cash flow. Bitcoin doesn't do that. And the value is very subjective, as we've seen by Elon's tweets a couple times. But there's nothing wrong with that. But I wouldn't make that my centerpiece for investing. My investing centerpiece would be boring assets think about self-storage. My goodness, four pieces of sheet metal, some rivets, a floor, and a door. But the value-add potential in self-storage is stunning. People just don't realize that even though it's boring, maybe because it's boring. So I would focus on investing over speculating.
1: Are there any asset classes you're currently investing in outside of real estate? I just did a little Bitcoin with my IRA
2: and a little other cash I had on hand about a year ago, and it's actually done okay. I mean, even though Bitcoin itself has kind of really been up and down as it always has, my portfolio's up about 50% because I've got a guy managing it. It's like multiple crypto assets.
1: Gotcha. Tell us a little bit more about your new book on self-storage.
2: Well, self-storage is amazing because think about it. If I'm renting you a $1,000 apartment and I raise the rent by 6%, you might leave rather than sign up for $720. That's 60 bucks a month for a year. But in self-storage, if I raise your $100 storage unit by 6%, you're probably not going to get a U-Haul, get your friends together, pack up all your junk, excuse me, your treasures, and move them down the street just to save six bucks a month. So you can do multiple increases a year and people will just gripe, but they won't leave. 53,000 self-storage facilities in the US, that's about the same as Subway, Starbucks and McDonald's combined. So the first third of the book is about that. It's about the premise for why self-storage works so well. The middle third of the book is four strategies to build a self-storage empire. That would include buying value-add, buying stabilized, reconfiguring an old warehouse or a Toys R Us or Sears building. And the fourth would be, of course, ground up development. The last third of the book would be why anybody wanting to get into any area of commercial real estate would probably benefit from. And that is seven different paths to becoming successful in commercial real estate, whether it's commercial multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, whatever. It's seven different paths to get to the
1: top. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing with us, Paul, and best ever listeners. Thank you for tuning in. If you've gotten value from this episode, please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a five-star review, and please share this episode and this conversation with Paul Moore with a friend so that we can add value to them with our podcast too. Thank you and have a best ever day.